the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. How many can say he's great tonight? And greatness is expressed in humility. St. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Larry, glad to have you back with us tonight, man. Thank the Lord for being Brother Larry and helping him. We've been reading this so much, y'all can probably quote it with me by memory. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, remember this, when John wrote his gospel, it was written somewhere between 80 and 90 AD, is what they say. And people who are against the Bible say, how in the world could men be able to remember such things uh, almost 60 years after this event happened. But remember, the literary aspect of people in that day is a lot different than it is today. We pick up books and e-books and all kinds of books, books, books. But in that day, books were very, very rare. So what they did was they committed so much more to memory. And they would say it over and over and over again. Many of these people in their lifetime never even owned a book. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, many of those never even owned books. So they would hand down the genealogy, the pedigree of their tribes, and it was committed to memory. So these men were not only thought different than we do, but the Spirit of God was there to quicken and bring back to their memory that which the Lord Jesus had spoken. Aren't you glad he did? Amen. Where would we be today without our Bible? Amen. Now, let's read 1 John 1 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life now isn't this amazing 1 John 1 1 but John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So in his epistle, he writes it one way from one aspect in the beginning. But here, when he goes to writing this, he says, that which was from the beginning. So here he's going back to two different stages addressing the very same thing. Oh, don't you love how God inspires his word? How many like to be remembered tonight as we pray? God bless you. Just hold your request in your heart. Lord Jesus, how grateful we are tonight to be <clears throat> granted this privilege, Father, that we could be gathered together in the house of God, this place that has been designated as a house of prayer, 
a house of correction, a house of praise, a place where we can hear your word, where we can be astounded by your presence. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We're so grateful for every time you've ever moved, every prayer you've ever heard. And we want to thank you in advance for every prayer you're going to hear for us in the future. Lord, these needs and requests that were signified by uplifting of the hands, we bring them before you. Lord, you understand and you see. and You know, Lord, if we would be asking anything that would be displeasing to you about a situation. You know that for those of us who truly, truly love you, it would be out of darkness or out of blindness on our part. We would never, never ask for anything contrary to your will, not knowingly. So when we ask, if we do ask wrong, we pray that you would help us, enlighten us, Father, that we would be able to not only pray, but pray according to your will. Father, help us tonight. As we look into your word, I pray, hallelujah, may the great mighty God come this way tonight, Father, and open your word to us. We've just been so rejoicing as we've been looking at your great person. We thank you, Lord, for letting us be included and being able to see you the way you are. Our hearts just burn and yearn, Lord, to be able to move beyond this veil and move into eternity. When it will take eternity as your great being continues to be unfolded. Speak to us tonight, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I love John's view, but I'm grateful for Matthew. I'm grateful for Luke, for Mark. I'm grateful that God had men with a little different makeup, a little different perspective. But for me personally, what I see in the way that John unfolds the person of the Lord Jesus is so, so tremendous. And the way that he sets forth in his gospel is contrasted by the way that he sets him forth in the epistle. Now, the gospel of John, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are actually identified as epistles, which are written um, sometime later. But John, as he sets forth in the gospel... He makes a declaration of the Lord Jesus and sets forth his deity, reflected through the immaculate conception and wanting the people of that day to be able to see who he was. But by the time we come to when the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, are being written, false doctrines have started to come in the early church. And they must be addressed. Now, the same man who wrote about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is the very same man that begins to write in the epistle of John. And it's amazing because from the epistle of John in the first chapter, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, 
Many Trinitarians try to take verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and they try to take those verses and establish that there is more than one person in the Godhead. But you think, how could the very same man who set forth that there was one person in the beloved gospel that he wrote in John chapter 1, quickly changed so adamantly from that one and write that there was at least two and possibly three in his epistle. Now, modern-day theologians might do that, but not a God-called prophet. And we know that John was not only apostle, but was a prophet. So John, you know, these men are writing, and they are writing in the sense of present tense. They are dealing with situations that were existent, but they were also writing what had happened in the life of Jesus. So they were writing of the past, of the present, and also of the future. And that, that's so important for us when we are reading it. And we know that preachers today are doing exactly the same thing, that we will preach of those things which have been in the past. We will preach of ongoing things that are happening right now in our lives, in our local body, in the message, in the world. And we will also preach prophetic. And people can come and listen at you and think, that made no sense. What in the world was he even talking about? I don't understand. Well, what is he saying? What is he, what is he trying to get at? Well, we might be dealing with something that is going on in this local body. Other people that stream the service wouldn't even have a clue. They would not even have one, one, one inkling of what point is even, even being made. And yet you might be speaking of something that is going on in another country somewhere and you're saying and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? I don't understand nothing of what he's even saying. Well, if it was aimed over in Timbuktu, they know what I'm saying. So you see, the Spirit of God knows exactly how to take these men and be able to anoint them and incorporate past, present, and future all together. Now, they were not going to write volumes and volumes and volumes of books, but they would condense much of what they were going to say. So whenever John, being led of the Spirit of God, and no doubt praying, Lord, how, how do I start? How do I start my gospel? How do I start it? Do I write it like Matthew did his? Do I write it like Luke, like John? You know, and in the time frame of the book of Revelation, actually, which is the last of John's writings, which was around 95, 96 AD, and then possibly the gospel of John and the epistles of John being written just a few years apart. And yet John is one of the last ones that's able to write. As a matter of fact, John wrote several, several years after Paul wrote his last epistle. So John is one of the last ones, and then of course comes Eusebius, and then comes Polycarp, and then comes other of the ancient fathers who was able to write. So John wrote in his gospel, he was able to set forth the deity of the Lord Jesus. But now, by the time that he goes to write in the epistle of John, some things have arose in the early church. And it was of the confusion about the person of the Lord Jesus 
and who he was. Now, some of them believed that he was, by then, it had already started in, maybe some of you never even heard the word, but it had started in the Gnostic belief, and that was of Gnosticism that they had, and there was about two to three different schools of the Gnostics, and that was, it comes from the Greek word of Gnosis, which means to know or to understand. Now, the Gnostics believed the Bible, but they also believed that they had a superior understanding which was above the Bible. Well, when I begin to read uh, the meaning of this word, I realize we still had some of those guys around the message. They feel like they know more than the Bible and they know more than the prophet did and they, they know more than anybody else does. I think they think they know more than God, actually, to be, to be realistic about it. So those guys who founded that Gnosticism in the first church age, they, they, they're dead and they're done, done gone. But yet the spirit that was on those men that gave them that you know, superior type of attitude is alive and well today. And I will tell you, it's not the Holy Ghost, it's demons. That's right. So John, now by the time that he goes to writing uh, this epistle of John, he approaches it from a little bit different perspective than he did the gospel of John. So it starts out the gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything, made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men or it goes on to say and men loved darkness rather than light and there was a man sent from God whose name was John he was not that light but he was sent to bear witness of that light now whenever he comes to the, the epistle here of John he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard now what you notice how that he brings it now from the supernatural of John 1.1 and he brings it down into more of the natural realm which well, you think why would a man like this a man with prophetic insight ever want to bring the superior side of who the Lord Jesus was ever bring it down to a side that would ever deal with see and with touch and with here. Now notice how he does this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Now notice he, he identifies three touches or three senses of the five of the human body in order to identify the Lord Jesus. Why in the world would he ever want to do that when he set forth the Lord Jesus in John 1, 1 as that which could not be seen, touched, touched, handled, felt nothing. He was the word back in that invisible realm. But you see, as error began to advance, then God also had the word there to raise up, as he said, when the enemy shall come in like the flood, a spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 
Now had John left it in this form as it was in John 1 and 1, then they would have had more to seemingly substantiate what they believed. Now what the Gnostics, one aspect of them believed, was that Jesus actually, even though he appeared and he looked like other people, that he was not real. He was like a phantom or he was like a ghost. Now, people could touch him and they would actually see him eat, but he was so supernatural and basically what they did was they denied the humanity of the Lord Jesus. So they wanted to make him so God, they felt like that they were doing him a great disfavor by allowing and believing him to be a man. I see. I see. So Gnosticism is still alive today. So they wanted to make him so superior that they would not believe or allow his body to be that of a human being. Now, the other main branch of the Gnostics or Gnosticism was that they took it to the other side. So they believed that the Lord Jesus was actually an ordinary man, so ordinary that he was actually born between Joseph and Mary. That Joseph was his actual father and Mary was his actual mother. Now you can see from one side to the other. And where is the truth? Always right down the middle. Now in order to save time, I won't go into all the particulars and all that about Gnosticism. But you know, the, the sad part about it is that both of those sides of Gnosticism, the more that you study about them, that each one of them had a little bit of truth. Well, Satan knows that in order for a lie to be believable there must be a little bit of truth now then John approaches it on the gospel aspect and he sets forth the supernatural phenomenal part now one side of Gnosticism then was able to take that and they were able then from there to take what John said and pull away with the idea that the Lord Jesus actually wasn't really truly a man that it was more of an act, it was more or less a drama, that he actually did not feel pain, he did not feel sorrow, he did not feel temptation. Well, then the other Gnostics, they heard this and they said, well, that's absolutely crazy. The man cried. Uh, the man got hungry. The man, oh, no, 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 you just don't understand. He was only simply acting that part out. But now notice as error comes through, God then must send men on the scene in order to be able to deal with the error of that day. Right? Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad God still got men today still in tune with him? That's right. Well, come on now, saints. Notice then as John now by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, as time has progressed and now the need for the revelation to be expanded a little bit further than the very same man that placed the Lord Jesus on the highest level of the supremacy of his deity now felt the necessity to also bring him down and show and prove that he was such a man that the 
they felt him, they saw him, they heard him, and they actually handled him that he was not a ghost, that he was not a phantom in the night, but he was a real human being. Now can you imagine comparing John 1.1 to 1 John 1.1? Now, you know, for a person who's trying to sit there and look at it from a theological standpoint, you study the Greek words and so on, it seemed like John is saying one thing in the gospel and saying another thing in the epistle but when you have understanding you realize he's bringing both of them together and he's dealing with it from different aspects in order to bring a more full coverage of truth but also to dispel the darkness of the day Thank God. Well, I thank God for John 1 and 1, but I also thank God for 1 John 1 and 1. Isn't it amazing? I'm sure you've noticed this before, but you know, John 1 and 1, and then 1 John 1 and 1, and then John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and then 1 John 3.16, hereby we know we the love of God. God sent his own son. I mean, you look at the parallel at how that John catches those things and how the Spirit of God is able to bring it back. Now, by while the words in the beginning was the word, then John, actually being the writer, he places himself as it was back at the initial point of time when the word is coming into expression. So John actually allowed by the Spirit of God to go back into the eternity now in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's at the initial point of creation. But now as he brings it into 1 John, notice how he, he rewords it there and he says, that which was from the beginning. Now he comes not just at the beginning, but that which was from the beginning. So now we, we look at two different frame, time frames of that which began at the beginning. And then once it began, it unfolds itself. Thank God for the necessity to be able to dispel. This is one thing I love about it. You know, it's amazing to me that whenever Satan will try to come against the truth and as, as ministers and pastors and so on, when questions will come up and people will attack this and attack that and attack something else, and really their motive and their purpose is is to try to get followers after them. So they want people to leave the message and follow them, and, and if you wish to follow them to hell, well, go on, that's up to you. But for me, I like to look at their lives and see where it's leading them and then I say no thanks uh-uh, no, no, the, the, the Lord Jesus that I have, he won't let me sit around as a preacher and drink a bottle of beer the way I seen one of the preachers that left the message not long ago and him sitting there in his short britches with a pitcher and him sitting there with a beer in his hand. Used to be a message pastor. Now, they want me to leave this message and follow them to that? Why do I want to leave eternal life and go to hell and go to eternal separation? Because that's exactly where they're going. Oh, look, friend, they'll be much worse than all these people out here because they've known truth. They can say what they want. They can try to seal their conscience. Most of them is already sealed, and they're reprobates anyway. There's hardly any dealing with them. But yet, as error goes on, and men of God will go to studying, what happens is that they're studying in defense of the truth, and it always happens this way, that God will open it up and make it more real to them than it was before the opposition started. So Satan says, oh, it ought to shake him. It ought to shake him. It does shake the shakeable, but it just makes 
the unshakable more unshakable. Amen. They just get more rooted and more settled. And, you know, they still don't understand everything. They can't answer every question and all that. But they believe more than what they ever believed it to begin with. Because they find out more and more and more. And when Peter and them had questions that day, and they said, Lord, this is leaving and that is leaving. And Jesus said, this bother you? Y'all want to leave? Go ahead. Hit the door. He said, Peter said, Lord, where do we go? You're the ones that's got the words of eternal life. Oh, hallelujah. You see, from the beginning, now John places it in a little different place here because the need of the hour. So the writer looks back to the initial point of in time when the word started expressing itself. So here he comes from the beginning. We're in John 1 1. It was in the beginning. So now we see the progression, and I love the way he deals with this. He doesn't even mention these false doctrines, he doesn't even mention these guys' names that you could have but instead of going that way John must have just felt to preach right over the top of it and just kind of ignore it now there's times the Lord will do that and then there's times the Lord will lead you to make it so plain you actually feel sorry for the devil because you know the poor old guy's sweating bullets you know it's just getting so plain you know I mean well whatever it is we just want to follow the Lord that's what matters right so from that point in time on then the word begins to express itself more clear which is exactly where we are now so in that great fountain God broke into that from the beginning characterizes then the development of the word as it unfolds itself in the progression of time now what's this he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life now let's contrast this with John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God so John wrote the gospel to prove the deity of our Lord assuming humanity and then he writes the epistle proving the humanity of our Lord assuming his deity so he merges it back and forth sound like a Saturday night sermon and a Sunday morning sermon and then sometimes a Wednesday night sermon you say you're confusing me I think there's one and then when you get done I think there's two well it's not my fault you're confused don't blame me for your misunderstanding. Some nights I'm preaching John 1 1, other nights I'm preaching 1 John 1 1. You just got to get on the 1 1 when I'm on the 1 1, and the first 1 1 when I'm on the first 1 1. Everybody on 1 1 tonight? Now, notice then that John, which would seem to be, Brother Jim, a way of contrasting why with this man which depended on revelation and God's revelatory way of revealing himself, why would he feel it's so important to talk about we saw him? Knowing that there would be people that would read this that would not have the opportunity to see him. But John is validating as an eyewitness. Uh huh. I was there. I saw him. I handled him. It was not, uh, you know, this supernatural body that did not eat. He did eat. He did sleep. He did get tired. Amen. Amen. So what?
what's he doing? He feels a necessity to reveal the humanity of our Lord and one of the greatest ways he knows to reveal the humanity of our Lord is link it with the humanity of the eyewitnesses. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We ate with him. We slept by him on the run the creek bank. We saw all of that. He was a man. Now, let me read you this, and you can write it down if you like, or you can go back to the website, it'll be there. These were the Gnostics, and as I said, just briefing it there, that it was during this time frame as these doctrines begin to raise up. And there were two groups among them. Both groups had their own private opinions regarding the person of the Lord. The Docetic Gnostics denied his actual humanity. Humanity. The word docetic comes from <clears throat> the Greek word doke, to seem. They, these argued that our Lord had only a seeming body. My, my, my. Not a real physical body. Now notice then you got another bunch of Gnostics. One bunch ain't enough, so you got another bunch. The Satinian Gnostics believe that Jesus had not been begotten by a virgin, but had been born of Joseph and Mary as a son in like manner to all the rest of all men, and become more righteous and prudent and wise. John encountered, now this is the man here who come up with this revelation John encountered Serenthius at Ephesus and strenuously controverted his error. Arrhenius and Eusebius quote a story of Polycarps that the apostle once visited the public baths and seeing Serenthius within sprang out of the building. Let us flee, he cried, lest the building fall. Since Serenthius, the foe of truth, is within it. You imagine the man of love, the apostle of love, going in a bathhouse to take a bath, and he goes in there and hears this liar and false prophet. And John was just getting in there, getting my, going to take a bath and maybe wash the dirt off of him. And he sees this liar in there and false prophet. He didn't go over and shake his hand, hug on his neck a little bit. But John grabbed his soap. He grabbed his sponge. He grabbed his towel. He grabbed his britches. Well, I guess he didn't wear britches, but he grabbed his robe and whatever more. And he said, let us get out of here before this building falls in on us a man of such love goes to show folks friends folks don't even understand what love really is does it notice the word gnostic comes from a greek word gnosis which means to know they claimed a superior private knowledge over and above that of the bible now let me tell you one thing we've got message gnostics because they feel like that brother random come to replace the bible they really don't use the Bible to prove their doctrines and that's why they, may, they must make Brother Branham infallible because if they don't, most of their doctrines erode and rot in the mud. 
because it's a quote here and one there and one there all sliced and put together many of them have no vindication without brother Branham they're not prophets they're not preachers they're not this and that and the other without brother Branham oh you're getting quiet on me happy valley so they really don't believe the bible in the first place But real elect, no, God never sent his prophet to replace the Bible. God never sent his prophet. Amen. We did not need a Dake Bible. We did not need a Branham Bible. We needed a prophet to point us back to the original word. Well, praise be to God. Amen. How many believes with all your heart? Notice John says again in 1 John 1 1 that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, senses of the flesh, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, why in the world would he emphasize eyes twice? We have seen it with our eyes. We have looked upon and we have touched. Now we know real faith is not based upon touch. Real faith is not based upon unless you're dealing with a Gnostic. Now if you're dealing with this type of Gnostic, then God will direct you to go to a sense which absolutely anointed by God can be used by God. Sight can be used by God. Oh, I don't never use none of mine. Well, how in the world are you hearing me tonight, pray tell? Stop up your ears and tell me what I preach after church. Turn your hearing aid down and tell me what I preached. You need them ears. And sometimes you need your eyes to read them scriptures and read them quotes. So God uses them when they tell us the truth. Amen. Oh, glory. John said we heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, and not only that, we handled him. Praise God. What's he want to prove? The incarnation of the existent Christ that had become so human he could cry. So human he could get hungry. But so God he could raise his body from the dead. Amen. Amen. Now notice he says we have our hands have handled of the word of life. Now this, this that he used here is word. It's actually he identifies it as a name. Amen. So he's not using this word as something that comes just out of your mouth. But he's using the word word here to as an identification of the name of the person that they have seen. What did he see there coming out of heaven riding on a white horse? And he had his name written on his side and his name is called the Word of God. You see, those who try to separate Jesus from his Word, they're Antichrist in theory. The people of the day wanted Jesus of Calvary. 
Come on now, saints. They want a Jesus of the Gospels and a Jesus that heals the sick and raises the dead. And come on now. But do they want the Jesus of Romans? Do they want the Jesus of Philippians and Galatians and Philemon and First and Second Timothy and Titus? Oh, no. They don't want that Jesus because that's a doctrinal Jesus. That's a Jesus that says do this and don't do that and go to church and pay your tithes. They don't want that Jesus. So they separate Jesus from his word. You're a Gnostic. He and his word are one. Hallelujah. Notice he said we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And your life is not a name. It's amazing how he uses this. Word is identified as a name. And life is identified as an action or the birth principle by which he existed, which was Zoe. So he's identifying this person as the word of life. He said, in other words, can't you folks see what this is? It was a God man. It was God truly, but he was not a phantom. He was not a ghost. He was not a spook. He was almighty God, but he was a human being. Notice how he goes into this now in verse 2. For the life, Zoe, was manifested and we have... The life was phanereal. Appear show oneself to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown to be plainly recognized praise God thoroughly understood who and what one is believe it or not this is your fanereal time (laughs) amen for the life. Now notice he jumps back now to the life and it doesn't say the word. For the life, Zoe, was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father. Now notice oh how the Trinitarians love to go to verse 2 and verse 3 because as they see there you can't have the Father without having the Son and whoever denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist and I say Amen. But whoever makes the Father and the Son two gods is a heathen. Now watch John bring John 1 and 1 and 1 John 1 and 1 together and 1 John 1 and 2. Glory to God. Glory to God. Show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that life which was invisible. That which we could not see, that was the Father God. But it become visible to the human race through the Word of God, the Son of God, the Boy of God, the human of God. Amen. So, let's do a little scientific experiment. We're going to take white light, just like this. This is white light. 
Now, it's in different shades, soft white, bright daylight and all that. But it's still white light. So we take this white light. We sit down on a tabletop, a prism. Y'all know what a prism is? So we take this prism. We set it down. We then take a light beam. Use your cell phone. You can use a flashlight. Any type of light that will produce a white light. Now, whenever you see it go in, actually by your eye cell, your eye won't see it, but as it goes in, it enters because of the angle. It actually enters in and it bends the light. Now, the light being bent, as it is bent, it breaks it down. The components of the white light are not visible as we look at it now. Yet every one of these lights in this building, if we would channel them, channel them through a prism, each one of these lights, whether they're 25 watt, 150 watt, whatever they are, they have the ability of their components being identified whenever they come through a three-sided glass or a prism. Now what happens is the light enters the prism and when it does, immediately it bends it. It bends it. Now it's called refracted light once it enters into the triunity. Glory. So here you have a three-sided glass and as it enters into the prism, then it bends which refracts the light. And when it refracts, it absolutely divides it into seven parts or seven components. Then, as it passes through the prism, prism, depending on how wide it is at the top, how big it is, and then whenever it comes out on the other side, actually the light bends again. Now, while it's inside the triune prism, the sevenfold or seven colors are being bent and changed, and they come out on the other side expressed. Now, when it comes out on the other side, it is bent. Now, if you have a mirror on the other side, and it's able to be bent on the other side, coming through this triunity of mirror or glass, it actually reflects it on the other side of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It goes in one beam and comes out seven. It goes in one color and comes out seven. Hallelujah. So here is the great eternal. Glory to God. He projects himself through the offices of his perfection of fatherhood, sonship, Holy Ghost. And when he comes out on the other side, you don't just see one ray of light, but you see many. life was invisible but the life become visible as it was bent and refracted and come out on the other side and once it came from deity invisible and struck that which was visible and come out on the other side you could see an aspect about it that you never knew existed before says he become from spirit the great fountains of the rainbow of God who had no beginning or no end he was forever God this ray of light went forth now notice singular 
This ray of light went forth. It was a ray of love. That's the main one. Red. The next color follows, which was blue. Blue. The trueness. Next follows the other colors through the seven perfect colors, which is the seven spirits of God that went great for, oh hallelujah, that went forth from the great fountain or that great diamond that Jesus spoke of. The great diamond was chipped to reflect these colors. Isn't it amazing when you go in the jewelry store? How many sisters like jewelry stores? God have mercy, I'm going to have to have a prayer line. But you ever notice how when you look into a jewelry store and they've got those diamonds and rubies and you know all those things and how they have those lights inside that case and oh my, the way they're sitting and you say, I want to look at that one. And your boyfriend said, Is that one okay? Sure. Isn't it amazing when you take it out from under them lights? It don't look the same. And you take it home. And you think, who stole the glitter? When that first payment come in, he's really going to be crying. And he said, it don't look the same. Of course it doesn't. They know exactly how to put them lights on there. And you pick up a rough diamond. I've seen them. Many of you have seen them too. It don't reflect no light. How does it reflect? When it's cut. And it must be cut in right angles on the backside and so on and so on. And the four C's in order to be able to make the diamond shine out its best. And then whenever you do it like that, mine, it'll sparkle up there and everybody come in. You don't have to ask if she's engaged or not. My goodness, she sticks it right in your face. Oh, how beautiful. Oh, how pretty. Oh, my, my. Look at that. And do you just look at it one angle? No, you take and you bend it. Why? You bend it. You turn it. You twist it. Because every way you bend it, the light hits it another way. Because there's a facet on the back side and it's cut that way. Oh, my. Here was a great eternal, that great uncut diamond. But the light could not shine through him until he allowed himself to be cut. And the aspect of mercy and the aspect of grace and the aspect of forgiveness and the aspect of redemption. And when the light of the age hits his goodness, it reflects upon the beholder. And you say, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, my. I see you're engaged. Not only engaged, we're married. was chipped to reflect these colors God made flesh and dwelt among us that he might reflect his goodness and his mercy among us by gifts 
and signs and wonders. That whole big rainbow had become in a theophany. So it comes out of the existence of the eternal and it passes as a little white light. It's not red, it's not green, it's not purple, it's not indigo. Oh, glory to God. Why? His trinity of attributes had not yet filtered the light to express all of his mercies and his greatness. So it comes out of the eternal in the form of the Logos. What is it? A white light dancing before the Father's door. And the next manifestation of the light is what? Rainbow. With its identity still hid. Seven folk are still not yet revealed. The light passes into what? A theophany. Looks like a man. Shaped like a man. That whole big rainbow had become a theophany. Made in the image of a man. Yet, he wasn't a man. He didn't have flesh yet. He was a theophany. We find him out here meeting Abraham before that in order of Melchizedek, a body of flesh, which was God. Sure it was, he says. He was God in flesh. And you say then, Brother Adam, why would he have to come back and be born? Why did not the eternal create the second Adam in the exact same pattern as the first Adam? So the first Adam was not made a baby. He was created a full-grown, mature man. And he fell as a full-grown, mature man. So Jesus went further back than the first Adam. He wanted to be a baby. You imagine Brother Bram said he'd come as a teenager so he could understand how you teenagers feel. Adam was never a teenager. Adam was never 10 years old, 11 years old. Adam never cried from his mother's womb. He never had a mother. But the second Adam, God broke it down so the diamond could be chipped. Well, why didn't he just take this Melchizedek body and let that go to the cross? It would have bypassed much of your temptation. He did not want to create a body. Why didn't the Lord Jesus just come up out of the earth as 30 years old and God just spoke him into existence and he stepped right into him? That's not the plan of redemption. He had to be born of a woman made under the law. He had to be a baby. He had to feel pain as a child. He had to grow up as a teenager. He had to grow up in his 20s and then had to receive the fullness down at the river. Notice what he said. He wasn't born then. He was just created a body that he dwelt in. Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is the king of Jerusalem, which is the king of peace. What was it? Why didn't he take it then? He had never been born like you and I. Friend, this is why every sinner, every sinner, every person that goes to hell, there will be no mercy. Did you see what he done? God left eternity and come down to the earth to become a man 
in order to take sinners, even not elect, and offer them eternal life. And they turn that down? That calls within itself will damn every soul who rejects it. There will be no mercy. When God become a sinner, that human beings might become redeemed and refuse it? They don't have to drink. They don't have to commit adultery. They don't have to run around. They don't have to lie. They don't have to rob banks just to turn down. That is enough to doom them forever. Well, how happy you ought to be. You've accepted him. <laughs> Praise God. Notice he says, what was it? Why didn't he take it then? He'd never been born like you and I. But he had to be born. He had to be born in flesh. Not created in flesh. Born. So that he could hold that stinger. Melchizedek was a created body. Jesus was a born body. That stinger couldn't go in Melchizedek. Glory to God. Did you ever take a three-cornered piece of glass? And you take a piece of glass that's three-cornered and lay it so the sun can hit it? It'll produce seven perfect colors. A three-cornered piece of glass will produce a rainbow. That's exactly right. Now if we have time, we go into that. Three brings perfection. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost. There you are. The perfection come by the three. God above man. God in the man called Jesus. God in the church. Then the perfection. I hope you understand the rainbow don't stop with Jesus. (laughs) Notice this. Then the Lamb of God came second definite step of God. Now remember, I read it to you a couple weeks ago, it calls it the second attribute. Not another person. Another step. <laughs> Lord children, Jesus was the second step. I'm trying to get ready to say it. And we're the third. <laughs> Hallelujah! Hallelujah! That white light that went out of the eternal was the first. The human glory to God, the humanity of God was the second. And we are the third. The colors can be reflected only through the bride. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Then the Lamb of God came, the second definite step of God. Same God. Another office. Then this God was in Christ, was the same God that was in the pillar of fire. And the same God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So they read the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament. They looked at the pillar of fire. They looked at the light. They looked at the cloud. They looked at it. They couldn't understand it. Then God shone that into the second attribute. So they catch a woman in the very act of adultery. According to the Torah. They bring her up there and said, Moses said, this woman's supposed to be stoned. I would like to answer one, have one question answered for me from them hypocrites. If she was caught in the very act, where was the man? If she was caught in the very act, there had to be a man around there somewhere. Why didn't they bring him? Unless, of course, it's one of the priests. Or maybe somebody that donated big to the church and they wasn't going to kill him, but they sure was going to kill her. Jesus was not breaking what Moses said. They wouldn't keep in what Moses said. They left out the other half. Come on now, saints. Don't get in your mind and say, well, Jesus didn't do what he said. Oh, no. He was only answering saying, you hypocrites, where's the man at? You never done what Moses said. And they looked at the law of God. Hey, they couldn't understand. Well, this is what God said. This is what God said. But the light went. <laughs> and it refracted on the other side. L O V E. I. You. Uh, love you, woman. So I'll tell you what, you bunch of hypocrites. You that's without sin, cast the first stone. You ever find that written in the law? Moses never said that. That was not a quote that said such a thing. It's always, it's always been a marvel to me that some smart aleck in the crowd didn't say, Moses never said that. But his words were so powerful. It brought such conviction to their heart from the greatest to the least. They left. And there's a woman over there maybe against the wall weeping and crying and maybe her mascara running down on her face and her lipstick and whatever more, you know, the way she's all dressed and carrying on. And here come the reflected light of God. Woman, where's your accusers? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> Brother, sister, when you and I by revelation one day will be able to answer God that, 
you're close to rapture and faith. And he turns and says, neither do I continue. Go, sin no more. So here comes the light of the pillar of fire, reflecting to the attribute of God, bends the light, comes out on the other side, the first attribute of the rainbow, the color red, crimson, mercy. And trueness shown from the reflected love of God said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You imagine us. Can you believe that? He let her go. You talking about a compromiser? I wonder what she thought. I wonder what Peter thought. Bless his heart, this time he kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. But now remember, he was a Pharisee. He leaned toward, you know, uh, holiness. He was a holiness preacher guy, type, type fellow, you know, Pentecostal, holiness strictness. <laughs> So he leaned toward that legalistic aspect of everything and imagine they like, oh, Lord have mercy. Remember Brother Bram said whenever he sent them off to get vittles and Jesus come back and talking to the woman at the well here in St. John 4 said they come back saying what in the world is he doing talking to her? You see they didn't see it either. They didn't see it was the second attribute of God bending the light of God toward a new covenant. It could not go the same way and pass through the very heart of God and come out on the other side. You didn't need a repeat of the Torah. You didn't need a repeat of the thou shalt and thou shalt not. But you needed something to bend. It could not bend from the God of the Old Testament. It had to bend in the heart of the God-man of the New Testament. Hallelujah to God, even passing through the God-man of the New Testament could not bring out the multiplicity of the attributes of the Godhead until he gave birth to a bride in Acts 2. <laughs> God had no beginning, see? But the Son, not eternal sonship, but the Son that was with the Father in the beginning was the Logos that went out of God. God and old man didn't give birth to a little boy. But God invisible gave birth to a light. And it was a theophany of God that went out the human form that didn't have eyes like you see a better eye. It didn't have ears I could hear, but a far more hearing. It was a theophany. That was all this rainbow condescended into a theophany. Moses saw it when it passed through the rock like that. He saw the back parts and said, it looked like a man. There are seven spirits of God, just like the seven colors in the rainbow. Did you ever notice a three-cornered piece of glass reflects seven perfect colors? Did you ever try that? Set a three-cornered piece of glass, yet it's only... Now, you see, you don't have to set down one God. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, one piece of glass. 
and then sit down a second person. I mean, I mean, I mean, another piece of glass, and then sit down another person. I mean, another piece of glass, and then let the light pass from this person through this person through this person. You get on the other side, you're still a heathen. But what you do is take them three pieces of glass and you put them together to make a prism. Not a prison. A prism. (laughs) Notice, but in three corners will reflect seven colors. That's how Father, Son, Holy Spirit being one yet reflect the seven spiritual attributes of God. The first great spirit of God, which is love. God's like the great rainbow, which we couldn't imagine what he looks like. But just say, he looked like a rainbow in spirit. Oh my. Rainbow in spirit. That great spirit, what he is, that great eternal The perfect spirit of love, red, blue. The perfect spirit of fellowship, just all perfect spirits. And they begin to condescending, coming down the way they all come down from filial love or agapo love to filial love, on down to lust, down to the lowest. Then God himself become a man, Jesus. And came down that same way to the lowest pits of hell. And picked out those he knew before the foundation of the world. Whose names were written on the book and redeemed them back to himself. There you are. The story of redemption cannot be fully known until we see him and we stand in his likeness. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We must be getting pretty close to seeing him because he sure is telling us a lot about himself. Let's stand. Praise God. We'll pick it up again. Let's read verse 2 again. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, And was manifested unto us. We are telling you before the incarnation, this blessed one was in him. And we saw him and handled him. He was the word made into human form. And we want to let you know who eternal life was. As Jesus said it, what was it, St. John 17, 2? That they might know thee and the true God and eternal life. <laughs> yeah, First Timothy 6, 15, read it when you get done. The immortal, the invisible, only wise God to him who dwell alone in immortality. That great invisible becomes light. John said, you Gnostics, both of you are wrong. He was God the Word before he was the 
God-man. And when he come down, he was God in the man, but he was a man. And the white light went in one side and come out refracted, branched out. Well, while he was here, the prism said, on this rock, I will build my further expression. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It shows they will be against it. But they will not prevail. Oh, don't you love him, saints? Praise God. Let's read verse 3. We'll pick it up again. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father. (laughs) And with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now this is the same oneness preacher of St. John 1.1. But he wasn't one like that. <laughs> I said, Brother Donnie, I'm trying my best to figure you out. Are you oneness? Not like that. Neither am I two-ness like this. And I sure ain't three-ness like that. Well, what are you? I'm the Word. I'm one of them attributes as well. So does that make me another God? If you're one of them, and you're one of them, and you're one of them, does that make you another God, and you a God, and you another God? It's attributes of the one God. So he opens his heart in the prism, and he sends his complete perfection, veiled, veiled on one side, and the entry unveiled on the other side. So what do we see? The mighty God. Unveil before us. Amen. You see it in the sky, friends, every time you see a rainbow. And it don't even have to be a storm. You know as well as I do, you can see it in your home. You catch a little a little light catcher and you put it there with a cut glass. I love fooling with it because it's just wonderful to me. But you just watch it, just a droplet of water, one little droplet of water. If the sun hits it the right way, what will it do? It will bend that droplet of water. You know why all them colors don't come out the same on the other side? Actually, they go in the same color. Red, indigo, blue, all of that. Each of those colors moves at a different speed. (laughs) The prism shows and reflects the speed by which they are moving. Their color is actually vindictive of the speed by which they are traveling. Seven components of the light and the prism breaks it down. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when it comes through, the prism only reflects the speed by which the light colors is coming through to make the component. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Praise be to God. Praise be to God. John said, look, children, you need to know our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Not two gods. The invisible that expressed himself in a human body. Father and Son. First attribute and the second. And the second bent the colors of God to show us mercy. So the very heart of God was the one who quoted John 3.16. For God so bent the light. God so loved the world that He gave. So what did God do? God funneled the light through the prism of His three attributes of mercy. And it bent the light of God. And what did He do? It didn't just extend to the bride. It extended to the book of life. And people that ain't even His own kind. It said, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. <laughs> Praise be to God. Amen. Let me close. In verse 4 he said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full and if you think you're the first ones to have the message listen to verse 5 this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is praise God and in him is no darkness at all isn't it amazing that the man talking about the father and the son didn't say God is an old man or God is a human but he said God is alive and yet he wants our fellowship to be in the father and the son oh I got to read this up a couple more verses I'll pick it up again but listen to it I got to if we say that we have fellowship koinonia with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth if we walk in the light as he is in the light if we walk in the refracted light of God as Christ the prism of God is in the light. This is why we need to be identified with the word of God for our day. There's not just a word for our day. There's a light for our day. The light of Luther shined on the word of this day still wouldn't get you ready for a rapture. You need the light of this day shining on the word of this day to produce the product of this day. The culmination of the seven church ages. All seven colors. <laughs> Have any of you in your life ever seen a full rainbow? Think about it now before you answer yes or no. No, I'll answer for you. You can't. Because in earth, man will be limited to only see half 
But when John was carried up in heaven and he saw one sitting on the throne, and he said, I saw a rainbow round about. The other half of the circle is finally joined. Praise God. The light had come back full scale. Praise God. And what did he do? I looked on him. I looked on him and I saw. And it was what was those seven perfected color. But it was not now half. It was not a covenant sign. But it was a full circle. Amen. Let me hush. Oh, glory to God. Don't you understand, friends? The last half is fixing to be called right back up into the presence of God when the complete work of God will be finished. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let these poor people that's left the message, let them make fun, let them ridicule, let them laugh at the pictures. Let them do whatever they want. I, I feel so sorry for them. It, 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 it just, I, I do. I just feel so sorry for them. They ridicule the pictures, the supernatural. They make fun of them. Let them do whatever they want to do. But to us, we look and see our God manifesting himself with a scientific eye. We see him as he appeared there in Lakeport. And we see the, the flames and the fire curling around as it was in Ezekiel. From the loins even upward and the loins even downward. We see him appear, amen, as a fire by night in Houston. And we see him appear as a cloud by day in Arizona. Hallelujah. And what do we do? We turn it up to the right and we look at it. What is it? It is Hoffman's head of Christ. Oh, glory to God. Isn't it amazing it's not the whole body? That's right. And how do you have to turn that picture to make it work? The head's looking down. What's he looking for? The rest of his body, of course. Go ahead and laugh. Go ahead and make fun and blaspheme the Holy Ghost. While you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost, we'll be sailing yonder. Hallelujah! Because we walked into this great prism of God and it changed our lives. We receive the red mercy. We receive the blue trueness. We receive, oh hallelujah, the redemptive colors of our God. It is consummated in our lives to make us reflect His glory. Let me read verse 7 and we'll pray. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. You see why people don't want the Jesus of the epistles? You see why they don't want the, the Jesus of the Pauline epistles and of this? You see, because in order, according to this one, you don't get the blood just by going to the cross. Oh God, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And then you're eternally baptized in the blood from that point on. No, John brings it on down and said, that saves you from your sin. But if you're going to be constantly cleansed, which you need to be every day, light and blood mixes together. Oh, glory to God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light and blood mixes together. 
It don't just save the bride 30 years ago. It keeps her clean today and tomorrow and the next day. And as we walk, we don't get saved and dip our toes in justification and we're saved forever. We must move. We must move. We must walk. We must progress. You stand still, you backslide. You stand still, you die. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus. How great you are, Lord. Father God, when I think your mercy to us poor mortals, you not only save us initially, we're so glad there's something inside of us, Lord, that ain't just happy getting saved. Lord, as far as we know, John, the beloved here that we're reading, that you used to pen these books. He's the only one that stood at the foot of the cross. Peter wasn't there. James, Matthew, John was the only one. So he was there and saw your agony. Heard your forgiveness to the thief. Saw your suffering. But what I find amazing is when we read about John... He never mentions the cross in the book of Revelation, mentions it very little in the epistles, and very little in his gospel. So it's amazing that the man who stood at the foot of the cross, every sermon wasn't the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. John knew the cross was the entryway, the gate by which a person would be introduced to the path of light. John mentioned light more than he mentioned the cross. He mentioned the Word made manifest more than he mentioned the cross. He mentioned fellowship more than he mentioned the cross. He mentioned the Spirit of God indwelling in us more than he mentioned the cross. So Lord Jesus, I pray we would be able to learn from this beloved disciple. He was not belittling the cross, but placing it in his proper place. So preachers who preach only the cross and brag as if though they are preaching the ultimate, they're not preaching apostolic faith. The apostles preached the cross. That was the initial thing to bring people to you. But then after they got them to you, they didn't keep them at the foot of the cross the rest of their life. They wanted them to grow up and not be babies their entire life, but become men and women of God, nurtured on the word of life. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help us. If there's one here tonight that needs to hear about the cross, then Father, I pray while we are mentioning it, may the Spirit of God strike their hearts. But Father, many of these saints have been saved for decades. 
They've been filled with the Holy Ghost for years and years. They do not need to go back to the cross to get saved again and again and again, day by day or week by week. But they need to hear the breaking of the bread of life, which will enlighten their past. Hallelujah. To be able to walk in this dark, dark age that we're living. We thank you for that light, Lord Jesus. We appreciate it so. We thank you for the cross. Lord, may I go on to saying you'll understand when I say it. I thank you for your life. I thank you for the blood you shed. But I also thank you for the day of Pentecost. Because those apostles, even after they accepted the blood, they still wasn't born again. And they was not ready to preach. They needed power. And even after they needed power, they needed a prophet to come in that first church age to be able to set the doctrines right in order to have a basis to be able to introduce you to the world. So here, they had the cross, and yet they needed power. They needed a prophet. They needed all of these other things, even after they accepted your blood. So if they did, I'm persuaded we did. We thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your blood. I also thank you for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the fivefold ministry. Oh, they're scoffed at, laughed at, and this day, that don't matter to us. We thank you for it, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for sending us a prophet. You told us in the book of Malachi, if I don't send Elijah, I'll come and smite the earth with a curse. But thank you, Father. Before you're going to smite this earth with the curse of the sixth seal of the tribulation, you sent Elijah, a Gentile prophet, praise God, to get a bride ready to slip her out of here. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Oh, we love you for that tonight, God. Oh, we don't worship him. We worship you. But we thank you for sending us a prophet, God. We would be absolutely under the curse of the hour were it not for this evening light. But because of that, we are walking in fellowship with Almighty God. Amen. We've received the red color of redemption. But we don't want just red. We want blue, which will produce trueness. We want indigo. We want all the rest of the colors, which will bend the light of God in our lives, Father. Thank you, Lord. Minister to your people tonight, Father. We worship you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
mother's ring. Maybe some of y'all remember it. And it was each of your children's birthstone, if you had a big enough finger, to be able to put in there. And I was the oldest of seven, and I heard mama say to a couple of different people that they were so pretty. And I thought, I'd show a lot for my mama to have one of them. But we was very poor. 
Daddy could never be able to buy her nothing like that. So I thought, I'm going to buy my mama one of them rings. So I started saving my lunch money. And I did without my lunch. And then I would go to the store and I would buy little packs of lifesavers. And I would give 10 cents or 12 cents a pack for them, whatever they were then at that time. And I would take them to school. And I would sell them and make two or three cents or four or five cents a pack till I started accumulating enough money. And then I had to get my birthstone, Tammy's birthstone, Harry's birthstone, all of us kids that was born at the time. And I don't know that I'll ever forget as long as I'm in my right mind when I was finally able to get enough money put back Needless to say, I was a few pounds lighter. But as you can tell, it didn't hurt me. But when I was able to get enough money back, and I had my aunt, Della Jean, to help me pick it out and get the colors and all that stuff. And when I brought it home to my mom, and she was a loving mama anyway. Wonderful person. You would have thought it was Fort Knox. Tony, how did you get this? I said, well, Mama, I picked up some pop bottles along the way, and there's a little store out about a mile from us where we live there called Happy Top. It was a store and a gas station, and the Hicks family lived on this side, and the Patton family lived on that side, and that was Happy Top. So you could take them pop bottles up there, and they give you, remember that? So I sold some of them, and I didn't want to tell her I'd done without my dinner. Because I was afraid she'd whoop me out of love. <laughs> so she said, she's smarter than that. I said, Mama, I sold Lifesavers, and I sold some chewing gum. She said, Donnie, how did you buy this? I said, Mama, I've done without my lunch. She said, Donnie, I want to whip you. <laughs> what I'd give tonight to feel them arms around my neck the way I felt them <laughs> If a boy would feel that way about his mama. How Jesus felt about his bride. And if you don't love him with all of your heart, I say shame on you. We could say, Jesus, how did you, how'd you give me all this? I didn't sell pop bottles. I didn't sell, I didn't sell chewing gum. I become a sinner for you. Praise God. Praise God. That I could slip that, wan, that wedding band of predestinated unmerited grace on your hand before the foundation of the world. I tell you, friends, it makes me love him with all of my heart, don't you? Amen. Let's pray. We'll go. God bless you.
Jesus, thank you so much for your word tonight. Lord, I hope I never get to a place that when I hear about you, it don't move my heart. I've just been serving you now, Lord, for about 51 years, so I don't guess I've got enough years on me to where you just kind of common and like some folks have. They serve you three or four and they mention your name. You don't warm their heart no more. So I'm still young, I suppose. I pray I never get old enough to where I become so hard that your story don't move me. I want to tell you tonight, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for setting me free. Thank you for purchasing me, Lord Jesus. Praise God. I ask you tonight, Lord, that you go with us now. Bring us back this weekend if it be pleasing to you. We come once again with expectation in our heart, believing you to speak your words to us. Make it more real to us, Father. Lord, I remember for weeks on end, after my little old mama got that ring, she'd come to me with it on and take it up and hold it where I could see it. Thank you, Lord. I want to do that same thing in that spiritual sense of telling you how much I love you, appreciate you. We love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts. Be mindful of those that are sick, suffering, Lord. Brother Jimmy and Sister Laura Burchett, we pray, God, for your mercy to them. Sister Laura, able to get up and move around. Brother Jimmy, as of today, still hasn't come to yet, Lord. He needs you to speak to him, Father. Raise him out of that state, Lord. Be mindful of the rest of the needs of your people, Father, we pray. Go with us now. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amazing grace. How sweet.
Bye.